This is one of those talks um, prepared in the last couple of weeks that uh, kind of almost perfectly weaved in with the stuff this morning. So if you weren't there this morning, let me encourage you to go onto the website um, and to listen to Andy Robinson speaking to us from 1 Corinthians 3. Um, it's just one of those things where I've kind of prepared to say stuff and he sort of says stuff and you just think, man, maybe the Lord's got something to say to us because there's a fair bit of overlap and he even referenced the psalm we're going to look at. Um, so do you be finding Psalm 127, it's on page 624. Um, before we read it, I will kind of introduce and try and talk a little bit about why we've chosen to look at this psalm tonight. And if you have a church Bible, page 624, but let me speak first though. You see, one of, the, um, one of our perpetual in these bodies at this time drifts that happens is that drift towards trusting in self. Do you know what I mean? You know that, don't you? That the thinking that we can manage it by ourselves and do things on our own and we knuckle really hard down and we do things in our own strength and, we, and then we find that we're ended up being completely exhausted and what we've ended up with probably won't last and we've lacked prayer along the way and there we go. And It kind of works at the personal level. Um, so me in my life, blinkered, doing my things, trying to crash through life, trying to manage on my own. Busy, 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 me, me, me. But I wonder as well whether it works at the corporate, the church level too. So in our sort of corporate to-do list, we can engage in new terms and get stuck into programmes and rotors and teams and try and buy a building and try and plant churches and, and get new staff and we're busy, busy, busy. But then again, that tendency, that corporate tendency almost towards self, Infecting it so we end up sort of trying together to do stuff in our own strength. Might be good stuff we're doing, might be really important stuff we're doing, but almost as if God could be an afterthought afterwards. Rather than looking to Him, we look to the practical things. We might ask Him to bless it, kind of in hindsight. We might include Him to sort of bless what we've already decided, what our plans would be, and, and what we would like Him to do for us. I mean, if you've been around at Magdalen Road at all for the last couple of years, you will know this is something we've been really concerned about. Especially as you may know we've been trying to buy a building, and we hope to be able to tell you some more next week. But as a church, we've sought to seek the Lord's face again and again and again. We've had times of prayer and fasting along the way. We've emphasised the need to be walking with him, seeking his blessing, his wisdom, his hand in all of this, his face through all of this. And it's been a genuinely encouraging time. But you know, as we look ahead, as we think through buildings and planting and other stuff, it's vital we keep this mindset, we keep this front and central. Why? Because of that word that I began with, that drift that we can find in our hearts. The drift towards self. And so this evening, I wanted just to, again, together commit to seeking the Lord's face for the future. Seeking his blessing, his strength, his guiding, his underpinning for all we do as a church. Not as an afterthought, not in hindsight, but along the way. And as we said, um, if you've got a flyer somewhere near you, that will tell you a bit about us and who we are as a church. And twice a year, give or take, we, we try and take an aspect of who we are as a church, whom we feel the Lord has called us to be, and just think a bit about it more carefully, chewing over it. Um, but what we're doing this evening is not really focusing in on either love or reach or build or send, 
but actually a more overarching idea. And so I'm going to read Psalm 127. It will be a familiar psalm for many of us. It will be a favourite psalm for some of us. But then try and have a think about some of the practicalities of it, what it meant then, but then what it means for us now as well. So let me read Psalm 127, page 624, if you have a church Bible. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labour in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring are reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. So here's the thing. At the very start of the Bible, when the first man and the first woman walk out on God, they walk out and in comes rebellion and in comes sin and in comes suffering and in comes death. But their jobs were still their jobs. They were still to fill the earth to subdue the earth. They were still to bring order. They were still to bring fruit and fruitfulness. But now the jobs they were meant to do were hard. You see that in Genesis 3 where God brings kind of individual punishment for Adam and Eve, if you like. They walk out, in comes toil and difficulty and strife. And so God says to the woman, do you remember he says, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labour you will give birth to children. To Adam, he said, curses the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it. All the days of your life, it will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Their jobs were still their jobs. They are still to together fill the earth, subdue the earth. But now there is death and toil and thorns and thistles. There was no change of plan in one sense. The role of humanity was still the same. But now productivity is threatened. Now there is hardship and toil and labour. And so we get out of bed tomorrow morning, and for many of us, work will be hard. What we do will be hard. There will be hardship and toil and labour in giving birth to the next generation, but also in farming and fruit, we see in Genesis 3. And I think you see some of that picked up as you reflect on this Psalm 127. You see the people of God engaging in the kind of creation activities they were meant to engage in. But now they need to look to him particularly for fruitfulness. And to not do that, we'll see, is fundamentally disastrous. Now this little section in the Psalms, if you flip back and forward, you'll see it. It is a, is a section where the priests or the people and would probably sing these psalms as they ascended the hill to Jerusalem each year or for three annual festivals. So you see, a, if you flip back, you'll see a song of ascent starting in Psalm 120 um, and then right the way through as well. The little triad, three psalms together, you see. And the community singing these songs together 
remembering God, reminding each other of God, the reality of who he is, the reality of life as a pilgrim people, the joys and the trials of what it means to live for him. And this one in Psalm 127 for this evening, we see a people on a journey, they're remembering something of Genesis 3 reversed. God to make them truly fruitful again. God to be with them in their labour. Why? Why? Because we all know this. Activity doesn't necessarily mean productivity. Say that again. Activity doesn't necessarily mean productivity. So have a look down the first half of the psalm, verse 1 and 2. The Israelites who first sung this song are, are remembering town planning of some sense, the building that took place in their nation. Some say that they have the temple in mind, Solomon, Solomon's temple that he's constructing, that is the house in verse 1 that they're singing of. Others say it stands for the homes of the Israelites, for streets, for walls, for infrastructure, for safety, for security. We, we can't be totally sure but we can be sure that the point still remains. The Israelites worked hard to build a nation which testified to God, but they recognised that if God did not prosper their efforts in building, then finally their activity comes to nothing. Really. All their labour, all their sweat, all their toil, kind of for nothing. They could have planned and prepared and sat in meetings till the cows came home as much as they liked but if God hadn't prospered what they were doing then it wouldn't have succeeded and so in one sense it wouldn't have mattered now we need to be slightly careful we need to pull into a lay-by at the side of the road for a moment because we sit in a different place in the Bible story We sit after the cross, after the resurrection, waiting for Jesus to come back again. And and for us as God's people, we are no longer marked out in quite the same way by bricks and mortar and buildings, at least physical buildings like this. They are useful, they keep us dry, they keep us warm sometimes, but they're not ultimately what we're about. We would do well to remember that as a church. But the temple that God is building now the building that he is at work on now is a much better one than they had. Our temple, our building that God is working is a temple, a building of people, diverse people. People from all kinds of backgrounds, people with all kinds of stories, people with all kinds of skeletons in their closets. Diverse people, but united and reconciled people who have trusted the the cross, who have trusted the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus as he dies in their place. And it is brought into the church, this building, this temple that the Lord is building. And God's word is taught, and people are built up, and flourish, and mature, and grow, and thrive. Have a listen to Paul, um, writing later in the Bible in Ephesians 2. Speaking of how God has joined together both Jew and Gentile into one building, into one church, one temple. Ephesians 2 and verse 17, if you want to flick it or you're taking notes. Paul says this, He came and preached peace to you who were far away, you Gentiles, 
and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see, the Lord is still engaged in a building project. But it's not so much what's going on here in Psalm 127. It's a building project of people where he dwells. And it's right that we get that right in our minds or else we get all kind of skewed when we think through what God really cares about. We get caught up in the wrong things. We forget to focus on the right things. Like a people being built and matured and grown. Look down again. You'll see God is painted in this psalm, particularly the first two verses, but later on as well, as as a provider and a protector. That is, without him blessing our labour, it's all in vain. Do you see the repetition of that word in verses 1 and 2? See, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labour in vain. Again, unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. It's there in 2 as well. In vain you rise early and stay up later. Our labour, first half of verse 1, to engage in activity... Maybe to preach, maybe to do Bible studies, maybe to work in the youth group, maybe to plant churches, maybe to put on programmes, maybe to invest in other people, to engage in these activities, seeking to build the Lord's house, his people, are futile unless he is at work. Unless he is the one who is building and providing and maturing his people. Without him it's in vain. Or second half of verse 1, Jerusalem implied, uh, employed watchmen who would keep it secure from attack. If you were here previously in, in this year, we thought about Nehemiah, we saw some of those watchmen as they were rebuilding the city and the temple. And we take out insurance policies or put up CCTV or all kinds of security, but uh, unless the Lord our God is our protector, unless he is on guard, again, it's all in vain. The in vain word is a striking one. It's actually not the same as the kind of Ecclesiastes word, if you know Ecclesiastes at all. But it's still highlighting a similar thing, the way that stuff doesn't last. Stuff is transient. Stuff can just be gone. In the blink of an eye, we put all our labour into it and we work so hard at it. And it disappears. And we invest in that person and suddenly they've gone somewhere. Or we're working really hard at Excel and suddenly it dies. And we forgot to press save. It's all in vain. It it grates against our self-sufficiency. It it challenges our pride, the belief that it's all about us. And all that we can achieve is for me and for what people will think of me. And it confronts us when we think that we can do it on our own. Because without God, it's all in vain. That there might well be a product at the end of it. But ultimately, it actually leads nowhere. Unless the Lord builds the house. The builders labour in vain. Um, me and my job, I have to say it's one of the things I'm particularly aware of on a Sunday morning at about 20 past 10 in the morning. Maybe especially there. 
Because in one sense, at least, we can put on a relatively good show at church. Hopefully we've been praying through the week and planning and preparing with the Lord. But before you stand up to preach, at least for me particularly, before the church gathers, before we, we sing and recommit and all the, engage in all the stuff that the gathered church does, there's this time to confess our weakness before God at about 20 past 10 and say, Lord, this thing I've got here just sounds so stupid. It really does. And they're weak and feeble and pitiful efforts. And you don't, Lord, I don't want all this prep and this prayer to have been in vain. Lord, will you bring fruit that will last? Lord, will you bring change in the lives of your people? Lord, will you bring life where there is no life? Lord, we need you. We can't do it without you, Lord. Do something amazing with with this little offering that we have. Bless us, we pray, Lord. That's often the 20 past 10 prayer. It is true as well. In one sense, as we think about the bricks and mortar building, so that's something that is life for us as a church, and so we can't ignore that. Friends, we're not quite there yet, we're not quite over the line, but we do hope by this time next week perhaps to be able to tell you something. But again, if we were to be able to get the building that we would like in this area, there is that danger again to just kind of die down, busy and active type things, getting on with stuff and think we're doing it for him, but actually we're kind of doing it for ourselves. Or if you think about planting in Bicester, as we thought this morning, or with Woodstock Road Baptist Church planting in Kidlington, the danger can be we do these good things and they have a kind of veneer of this is for the Lord, but in one sense we care more about what people think of us. To be known as a building with a big church, with a, a church with a big building, or, or as a kind of church that plants churches, or whatever it might be. To gain a reputation for ourselves rather than for him. And so we need him to provide because it is for him and for his glory. He is the one who provides and protects. It's not about us. It's particularly there in verse 2 as well. And interestingly, it's something again that Andy picked up on this morning. It's this idea of sleep. You see, we get, he grants sleep to those he loves, but then the little A that takes you down to the footnote, for while they sleep, he provides for. That is, whether he is the one who is granting sleep, or whether he is the one who is providing for us as we sleep, there is a rich sense of the grace of God at the heart of this psalm. God provides, God protects, And it's not about our effort in one sense. Jesus spoke of similar things. If you remember that that beautiful passage in Matthew 11, 28. Jesus invites the, the weary and the burdened to come and find rest in him. And so he says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, he is the one who provides what we need. He is the one whom we can trust. He is the one who has a yoke that is easy. He is the one we can go to for rest. Because finally it's all about him. 
And so I take it we need to pray as a church that we would be a people, a, a building, a household, a temple of the Lord that is maturing and growing and will last. That we would be secure and we would be thriving as a people. That he might watch over us, make us fruitful, continue to help us to flourish, to protect us perhaps from dead ends and and wasted time and black holes for our energy. Praying for God to be at work, making us into the kind of temple, the kind of building that he wants us to be. And actually as the psalm continues, as you go from 1 to 2, 3 to 3 to 5, there's a similar theme that comes out. The second half seems to focus more on the next generation of believers. And actually there's a play on words going on in the psalm. So 1 to 2 is more about a physical house. But then 3 to 5 is more about the kind of house or dynasty. A house of people, if you like. And so the psalmist reminds us that we cannot make life. God is the one who must bless. He is the one who must provide for us. Let me read them again. Verse 3, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring are reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. I take it it's the importance of looking to God for the next generation of believers. Whether they be physical children or whether they be spiritual children. I was reading a little while ago um, the biography of, uh, of a missionary called Jeremiah Burroughs. Um, he was a 17th century missionary. He and his wife um, went out to take the gospel of Jesus to the people of Burma. And after seven years of faithful witness, nobody had believed. Not one person. But then by the time of his death, over 7,000 had trusted in Christ. But isn't it easy to give up? Maybe to pull our hair out with our physical children who can be hard work. Maybe thinking about the spiritual children in our lives, people whom we want to take the message of Jesus to, but we can find it so hard and rocky and difficult. We're not quite sure if it's worth it or whether we can keep going or whether we should keep going. But then then we must remember that children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring come from him. He is the only one who can bring new life. It's great for us to remember as we look around this area, as we look around the kind of people whom we would love to take the message of Jesus to, this this next generation of believers are a gift from the Lord. And yet what's striking, actually it's more than a gift from the Lord, I think. There's more to the picture than that. It's more than just that the church might continue, more than just bums on seats, people in the room, but they might contend for the gospel. Isn't that striking? The, the picture is one of a military picture in verse 4 and 5. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents. Now the in court word there at the end could also, I'm told, be the idea of the city gate. Different translations you might have on your lap. And plump for different ways of translating that. 
But the idea behind both is that the next generation of Israelites are described as arrows who will um, bring support and protection and provision for their parents. Perhaps whether physical or spiritual. <coughs> Hence to have a quiverful is a really good thing. Arrows in the hands of the warrior from the Lord as they contend for, with the next generation. And so maybe a prayer for us as we look ahead as a church is asking that the Lord might be at work in and through us, perhaps firstly for our young people. I say that as a father. Perhaps through the youth group, perhaps through junior church on a Sunday morning. But that we might see these young children be believers who trust him for for themselves, who, who come and contend for themselves. But more than that as well, that the gospel would ring out from this place. New believers, we would love to see more people trust in Christ for themselves. We would love to have this carpet off and more people being baptised. Whether through organised events, whether through programmes, whether through a low-level culture of taking the gospel of Jesus out to those whom we know and whom we love. Because children are a heritage from the Lord. Offspring come from him. Because we're limited, we're finite. There'll be a baton for us to pass on to the next generation. And so praying that the Lord might, might raise up people from among us who will go out and surpass us, do a better job than us. Now, the thing I've reflected on in Psalm 127, just in finishing, is I think we can get something in this really wrong. I think we can reflect on passages like this and we think, okay, one to two, there's some sort of temple building going on. Three to five, there's this next generation trusting the Lord for the next generation. The thing that we can get wrong is that we can think at times the Lord's blessing is elusive. Does that make sense? But you see, it's not as if we have to wrestle it from him. It's not as if we have to deceive him or trick it out of him like some sort of Greek god or something. He is our father in heaven. He is more willing to give than we are to request. He's more willing to answer than we are to ask. And so whether it's maturing us as believers, whether it's new believers, or whether it's buildings, or even whether it's planting, the Lord is one who loves to bless. The danger can be we just crash on in our own strength with no real reference to him. So let's pray, as we finish, let's pray that he would guard our hearts from trusting in ourselves. That he would guard our hearts from mere activity, And that indeed it would be the Lord who would build his house. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labour in vain.